0: Where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Thursday, July 23rd, we are studying Judges chapter 9, verses 22 through 41. Abimelech has taken power in central Israel, but his rule is not driven by the Spirit of God, as was true of other judges. Instead, Abimelech is filled with an evil spirit. And his rule is marked by corruption and violence. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor David Appled. Pastor Appled serves at St. Paul's Lutheran Church in Paducah, Kentucky. Pastor Appled, welcome back to Sharper Iron.
1: Thanks, Tim. Good to be on with you again.
0: So, as we get started, we're picking up right here in the middle of Judges chapter 9. It was just too big to fit into one episode. So, give us some context. Where are we in the narrative of Judges, particularly with this? This figure Abimelech. What do we need to know going in?
1: Yeah, Abimelech is um, so the. If you think of the big name judges, the major judges, I think, at least in my mind, um, Samson comes to comes to mind as the big judge that most people know about. Um, but before Samson, the one who gets the most um, time, you know, the most space in the biblical account is Gideon, and Abimelech is one of Gideon's sons. Um, Gideon has Seventy sons, were told, and Abimelech is the son of Gideon, um, but not from one of his wives, but from one of his concubines. So we are in the days of uh, kind of wild—it's like the Wild West in some ways in the book of Judges, isn't it? Yeah. You've got—you don't have a king yet, and that's really part—I think that's part of the, um, the story of Judges, is what happens when everything is left to— you know, left to itself, and you know there, there's a certain phrase that comes up again and again in Judges, um, especially towards the end. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes because there was no king, hmm. and so the the there's no unity. Um, it's very tribal. It's very clannish. We'll talk a little bit about clan clans today. And um, Abimelech is sort of the the guy who rises up kind of the strong man if you will who rises up in this time of you know we're not really sure who the the king is and he is able to gain power he's able to gain authority um, in through the use of um, uh, uh, mercenaries essentially he kills off all of his brothers the 70 the other sons of Gideon and except for one of them one of them lives and uh, he works out a, a little bit of an alliance with the the men of Shechem that's the name of the city where he lives and he essentially um, becomes the king then of Shechem mm. um, and it even says it's going to say that he was he ruled over Israel but it's it's kind of hard to determine are we did he actually rule over everyone or you know what kind of authority did he have? Mm.
0: Abimelech is a, an odd character within the book of Judges. There is a There are a lot of odd characters in the book of Judges, I suppose. But he stands out as, as one in particular because he, he does at least attempt to take that title king, which is yeah. not found elsewhere in the book of Judges. In, in fact, as you pointed out later in the book, it says, in those days there was no king, which is part of the trouble. But Abimelech seems to at least attempt... To take that title for himself, what do you what do you make of him as a figure in the book? Is he a judge? Is he a king? How, what what is he?
1: Yeah, he's like a, he's like a mob boss, isn't he? <laughs> he's a he's a he's a. Tr- I, I mean, this is what I I tried to I want to introduce that that term a clan. If you think of of Israel as a nation at this time, it is very tribal. And by that, I mean, you have the 12 tribes of Israel and they're united. Um, They were united under Moses and then under Joshua, but they don't have after Joshua who takes over. There's not one figure anymore. And so each of the tribes, you kind of get this sense of, okay, well, here in Manasseh, which is the tribe that... um, that Abimelech is part of, we're going to do our thing. And over here in the tribe of, I don't know, Judah, we're going to do our thing. And over here in the other, each tribe kind of does its own thing. And so what happens is probably in maybe, maybe a good analogy for our, our listeners, instead of thinking of, you know, the monarchy with everybody in their place, it's almost more like city-states kind of thing, right? So you have... The, the leaders in Shechem, they kind of rule over Shechem, but their rule doesn't necessarily extend over to, say, Jerusalem, unless they have the power, whether through some kind of alliance or just through military force, um, to actually exercise power and authority over a, a, a bigger sphere than just their, one cl- their clan or their tribe.
0: Hmm. So even if we do grant to Abimelech the title of king, we still wouldn't understand that to be king over a nation, but rather the supreme ruler. I, I like the term mob boss. I think that fits really well <laughs> with with what we've already seen Abimelech do in yeah. Judges 9 and what he will do in this text and in tomorrow's text as well. I think mob boss isn't a bad title, a modern comparison. But he, but even granting that, the, the title, king, does not mean that he was a ruler over everyone in Israel. And it seems really his rule is pretty localized, and, and we'll find, and this is tomorrow's text, but as he tries to expand it, that's really where he starts to get into trouble because he just doesn't have that real kind of power. That's one of those reminders when it comes to the book of Judges that I know I, I tend to forget, is that there is this very tribal clannish nature of the book and we tend to hear things like Abimelech ruled over Israel and expand it farther than it than it really was. Yeah.
1: Yeah, the so maybe just to rehash the, the context is that how how does he become king? Well, with David and even with Saul, God establishes them, right? God picks the man. And then you have the sons of David who are the, you know, the natural the descendants who um, you know, they're part of the house of David. That's the normal way that king kings uh, become kings. Either they rise up and, you know, through their own force become king, or God chooses them as king. That's the great, you know, the divine king. So um, Abimelech is becomes this quote-unquote king, the mob boss, because he kills all of his brothers, and then he forms an alliance with the other um clan leaders the other mob bosses in shechem and the thought is their thought is look if we all get abimelech to you know if we get rid of the other sons of gideon abimelech is from our city the other sons of gideon might be from other places so he will you know he'll give us kickbacks right he's one of us um, we can form an alliance with him and it that's what um, the, the first part of chapter 9 goes into is, how did he get into this position of power? Well, he made this alliance with the other men of Shechem, who probably aren't even Israelites. They're some of those the Canaanite people who were already living there in Shechem. And uh, they make this little alliance, and then he hires mercenaries. Um, they, they pool their money together. He hires mercenaries who go and kill the brothers of Gideon and then they say all right now Abimelech you be king over us and he then um is the king but it's see how see how what is that based on his his throne is a throne of lies right it's mm-hmm. a throne of conspiracy um and even murder right uh, fratricide if you want to get really technical that's how he became king mm-hmm. and think of how different that is from you know say king david or even king Saul
0: Right. Well, and, and even, and we'll talk more about this, even from his own father. Now, his own father was never a king. And in fact, he he refuses the kingship, at least in word, in, at the end of chapter 8. There's maybe some question as to what his mind was, particularly given the name of this son of his, Abimelech, as you pointed out to me earlier, uh, Pastor Apple, that the name Abimelech means my father is king. How does how does that fit in, and and what's Gideon's role? Yeah. On the one hand, it seems he refuses to have his sons be king, and yet he names his son this, and then all this blows up yeah. after his death.
1: Yeah. So think again of of one of the major themes in the Book of Judges is this. There's um, I had a professor in college who said it's the cycle of the judges. Mm-hmm. Right. So you have um, the people are faithful. And um, but then they, they never really drive out the Canaanites, they never accomplish the conquest. And so, the Canaanite um, culture that the cult of the Canaanites um, becomes a snare for Israel and they, they start to worship these other gods. So, then God um, gives them over to that, and they either become enslaved or there's a famine or something goes wrong, right? They experience God's judgment that way, and then God they turn back to God because of it. God raises up a judge, and the judge brings peace, right, good order. But then the cycle starts over again. They they get ensnared with the Canaanites again, and they lose their. They become idolaters. So the, my point in, in going through that is the judge is always just a temporary ruler, and he doesn't. He he. It's not a hereditary. Um, it's not a dynasty. So when Gideon. Um, is raised up by God to be the judge he delivers the people of Israel from um, from slavery I believe to the Midians right um, and they say Gideon we want you to be king over us and the implication there is that not only would Gideon be king but his sons would also then inherit the throne of Gideon right and they would have the, the kingdom of Gideon the house of Gideon well Gideon says no I don't want to do that um, but look, I, I see you guys want to give me something. You want to acknowledge what I've done. Why don't you give me gold? And he makes this this fancy, this ornate, um, it's called an ephod there, um, but it's some kind of a garment that becomes a snare for his, for his family. It's, it doesn't give much of the detail of that. So he says, no, I don't want to be the king. But then he names his son Abimelech, which means my father is king. And there's a little bit of... It's it's cloudy there, I think. Um, So did Gideon really want to be king? But, you know, for whatever reason, he kind of said, no, 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 I don't want to do that. Did he still exercise some kind of I think what we can say for sure is that he would have been highly regarded by the people and his children, then his sons would have influence. They would have prestige. They would be um, kind of the natural leaders in whatever city they were in, and people would look to, hey, you're Gideon's son, you must be, you know, you must be wise, or you must be somehow um, the one who's going to lead us. Mm -hmm. And so Abimelech is going to exploit that um, to his advantage.
0: Mm, Right, that that makes a lot of sense, and that I think helps explain his, his fratricide, his killing of his brothers, because then that removes threats in other cities and would allow him to somewhat attempt to consolidate power beyond, as we'll see, Shechem. And again, I know that's moving a little beyond what we get in today's text, but I think that really does help tie this narrative together. So let's go ahead and start looking at the text for today. We're in Judges 9, beginning at verse 22. Abimelech ruled over Israel three years, and God sent an evil spirit between Abimelech and the leaders of Shechem And the leaders of Shechem dealt treacherously with Abimelech, that the violence done to the seventy sons of Drubbaal might come, and their blood be laid on Abimelech their brother who killed them, and on the men of Shechem, who strengthened his hands to kill his brothers. And the leaders of Shechem put men in ambush against him on the mountaintops, and they robbed all who passed by them along that way, and it was told to Abimelech. All right, so this is the, the beginning, I'll, I'll pause there, that was verse through verse 25. This is the beginning of, of Abimelech's reign over Shechem, primarily. And one thing that stands out right away in verse 23 is that the writer of Judges says God sent an evil spirit between Abimelech and the leaders of Shechem, which, in my mind, stands out for two reasons. One is that we heard I think I know with Gideon, and probably with a judge or two before him, that the Lord sends his spirit upon a judge, usually right before they accomplish their mighty acts of salvation. The Spirit of God clothes the judge. And so here you get this, no, it's not the Spirit of God who comes upon Abimelech, it's an evil spirit. So there's there's that just within the narrative. But then the fact that God sends this evil spirit is perhaps a bit troubling in our mind. So let, let's talk a little bit about that.
1: sure yeah i think um well which which do you want me to take up the you choose okay (laughs) um well i think that we have a um let's let's put it this way oftentimes the sort of popular idea is you've got god and the devil and they're sort of they're opposing each other and that's true um but what we don't believe is that they are equal powers right so um God is the Lord of all things. He is, he is even God over the devil. And his authority um, extends even over what the devil and his demons can do. So this comes out very clearly in the book of Job. Um, and most of our, hopefully our listeners are uh, at least a little bit familiar there with Job. The devil comes, um, Satan comes into God's throne room, and God even is the one who suggests, why don't you go and torment Job? Um, And so the devil goes. And so this, this causes us a little bit of, uh, you know, a little bit of trouble. Why would God send an evil spirit? I thought God was good. Why would he send evil? And it's true. God is good. Um, He, but he also is the Lord over um, the the demons and the the devil. The devil is not uh, eternal. The devil is a fallen angel. And so he is only allowed to do Surely he, he wants to do more than God allows him, um, but God curbs what the devil can do and only permits him, if we want to put it this way, God permits the devil to do only what God ultimately will use him to do. And so here, um, God sends an evil spirit. Um, he, he allows, he permits these evil spirits to um, come and cause problems between Abimelech and between the the other men of Shechem, let me let me pause there and just kind of see if you want me to go off on on something I've mentioned so
0: far. Well, uh, just to to say, one, I think it is important to to put this all in the context of God's lordship over everything, Satan and his demons mm-hmm. included. That that this is an example of Him exercising His rule over all creation and the devil and his demons are a part of all creation. And that, that is an important thing for us to remember, that when we talk about God versus the devil, this isn't two equals, one on my right shoulder, one on my left, something like yeah. that. No, this is the Lord exercising lordship over everything, Satan included. And he's going to, to exercise that for his, for his purposes. And, and I think yeah. that's important to do to see as well. This isn't when it says that God sent an evil spirit here, this isn't God sort of, he's not acting capriciously or on a whim, but he is, he's acting in accord with what both Abimelech and the people of Shechem have already chosen as the course for themselves. It's not like the Lord. I, I don't think that we would see this verse as the Lord determining evil for these people, more we would see this is the way that they've chosen. And so the Lord, as, as I've had other guests say, lets them have it their way. And he, he get, lets them go the way they desire.
1: Yeah, he um, he punishes. Uh, sometimes it's been said this way: God, um, he uses a rogue to whip a rogue. Mm-hmm. I think that's how Luther talks about this. But that's this is common in the prophets um, when God disciplines his even his own children, let alone the other nations who don't know him. Um, he he uses the you know he uses the Babylonians to come in and bring judgment on Israel. So um, God. God has the right; He has the authority, and He's just to punish and uh, and to discipline sin. And the way that He does it, this comes out maybe um, even more clearly in the book of Romans. Um, how does God punish sin? How does He punish um, the rebellion of His of His creatures against Him? He gives it; He gives them over to what you know to that rebellion. So in Romans one, you have the 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 march further into, further and further into sin and depravity. Um, and it says God gave them over to a debased mind. He gave them over to the the passions of their flesh, the lusts of their flesh. Well, here you have a very similar thing in Judges. God is going to give, um, he's going to give the devil room. He's going to give the demons room here to come in and, and, do to Abimelech what Abimelech did to his brothers. So, okay, Abimelech, if you want to build a kingdom out of conspiracy and uh, mercenary force, here's what you're going to get. You're going to get your own—these men who made an alliance with you are going to conspire against you. And that's that's what's described there in Judges.
0: As you were talking about the, the activity of demons and God's lordship over the demons in this, my, my mind went to—I think it's in Matthew 12— where Jesus talks about an evil spirit being cast out and the house being left empty and, and swept clean. And if it remains that way, then seven more demons come and the, the last state is worse than the first. I think I, I think yeah. I accurately summarized yeah, right. that. And I, I think I mean that's that's kind of the picture that you see here in Judges when you think of that cycle that you're talking about and we've we've seen throughout this book. Where, where Gideon has come and led the people, I mean obviously he's got his, his faults, but led them faithfully according to the, the spirit. And then what happens? Well, they don't that, that void is not filled with God's spirit further. And so even more evil spirits come and the Lord allows it. He even as it says he, he makes use of this evil spirit to show what happens when idolatry yeah. is ruling the land.
1: Yeah, the um, the kingdom of of Abimelech or whatever it is, his mob rule, his clan, <laughs> his clan and tribal kind of strife and warfare is a it's a foil uh, over against the the kingdom of Christ. Right. So one of the things that you that you find you see this in in the in Saul's kingdom too. Um, the kingdoms of this world um, are ultimately um, guided and governed by. Uh, if they're not guided and governed by the Holy Spirit, you can have righteous rulers and that's good we should pray for that. Um, but if you if you don't, there's only one alternative, right there is no there's no neutral um, there's no neutral ruler. Um, and so in Abimelech you see very, very clearly depicted for us here is what kingdoms that are devoid of the Holy Spirit are going to look like. They're going to look like, backroom deals, I mean, doesn't the whole thing, it, it smells of a backroom deal with everybody's drinking and there's cigar smoke in the air. And, you know, we're, we're trying to figure out who's going to kill who. And then, um, in the verses you just read for us, Tim, we've got, okay, there's going to be these, um, you know, these, these, um, thieves out on the, on the King's highway and there's, but they're positioned there by the other men who are on in the somehow, in um, they're supposed to be working with Abimelech, but really they're working against him. It would make a great movie. Um, trouble is, there's no protagonist. Um, mm. It's just uh, it's it's all conspiracy and it's all evil.
0: Mm, it, it really is. So I mean, just so that we have the the picture in our minds from these verses, because at least in the the ESV, there's it's a pretty long sentence that begins. What what is the picture? What is happening? You've got you've got Abimelech as the ruler, yeah. and these other leaders of Shechem who are supposed to be on his side, it seems are are stealing from him or something. What's what's the picture yeah. that these verses give us?
1: Yeah, so these are the other men of Shechem, and they're they're probably I don't think that they're Israelites. The it's it's pretty consistent in describing them as the men of Shechem. And the reason that I point that out is because Israel was supposed to drive out the Canaanites. That's the mission God gives them: go in and conquer the land and drive out the Canaanites. The trouble is, they never actually do it. Um, and so, the in these cities, it's not like they the, when the Israelites come in, they don't start over from scratch. They they. They blend with the people. There's kind of, there's multiculturalism in the sense of um, there's different there's competing um, faiths that are at work. So you have the Canaanite religions and then you have the true religion of Israel, but there's always this competition or this this conflict between those two things. And you see that here even um, with Abimelech who, I mean he's not a faithful Israelite, right, but he is trying to work out this alliance with the men of Shechem and they end up they at first they work with him, but then you know how fickle um, the hearts of man are, um, they quickly say, well, how can we let's 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 try something new. So they set up, the, the men who originally conspired with Abimelech set up this system of, of highway robbery, which why does, okay, why does that matter? Well, Abimelech, as the king as the ruler, ought to one of his jobs was to keep the roads safe, right? Because if you don't have safe roads, you're not going to have any commerce, you're not going to have travel coming in and going out. Um, and so it's very important that the king, is able to keep the city safe. And so what's happening here is Abimelech's own men, his own um, counselors, are at odds with him, and they're working to actually subvert um, his his rule.
0: Mm. That, that, that matter of the, the roads being kept safe was, was one of the Parts of the song of Deborah and Barak that was one of the before Deborah arose. One of the things that she pointed to in that song was that the highways were abandoned and people were staying off the roads. And so here you have that that same. Bad situation happening in Israel under yeah. Abimelech, who's supposed to be a king. And and I I think the picture is. And I'm trying to think of a of a movie or a television show. I'm sure there's one. I think the mob boss is a, a fantastic one. But basically, it's the the crooks stealing from the crooks here. And yeah. and the like Abimelech has as the mob boss, and then the people under him they want to get their hands into into his into his goods somehow and and that's i think the the picture so everyone is stealing from each other you can't trust yeah, anyone that's right it's yeah. it's the wild west like you said and and all of it though and i think and maybe this is a good way to to wrap it up on this side of the break all of this though does fall under under god's lordship and, and he is going to to use this, as a, even through through all this Wild West crazy stuff of the book of Judges, all of this he continues to use for his purposes of preserving the promise, the promised seed, Christ. And, and even with all of this happening, that promise remains. So we'll pick up more on the other side of the break. You're listening to Sharp Iron here on KFUEL, but we're going to take a short break. We'll be right back. Please stick around. Welcome back to Sharper Iron on this Thursday, July 23rd. We're looking at Judges chapter 9, verses 22 through 41 with Pastor David Appold of St. Paul's Lutheran Church in Paducah, Kentucky. So Pastor Appold, prior to the break, we looked at those first three verses there, 22 through 25, set the stage, talked about this evil spirit that God sent between Abimelech, the leaders of Shechem. You've got crooks stealing from crooks. And the account continues, keep reading here in Judges 9, verse 26. And Gaal, the son of Ebed, moved into Shechem with his relatives, and the leaders of Shechem put confidence in him. And they went out into the field and gathered the grapes from their vineyards and trod them and held a festival. And they went into the house of their god and ate and drank and reviled Abimelech. And Gaal, the son of Ebed, said, Who is Abimelech, and who are we of Shechem, that we should serve him. Is he not the son of Drubal, And is not Zebul his officer? Serve the men of Hamor, the father of Shechem. But why should we serve him? Would that his people were under my hand. Then I would remove Abimelech. I would say to Abimelech, increase your army and come out. All right, so the scene. the scene This is as we were we were talking about this over the break, Pastor, that that this is one of those spots where I can't believe this stuff is in the Bible. And and maybe we'll reflect on that a a bit later. So you've got Gaul and and he comes to Shechem and and he it seems is is appealing to the history of Shechem. Who who's this guy? We belong to somebody else. So what what's going on here in the narrative?
1: Yeah we so before the break we've talked a little bit about the um, Shechem the history of Shechem um, is not there it's not just Israelites who live there okay and if you go back if you use your little concordance in the Bible in your margins um, this would if you look up Shechem this takes you all the way back into Genesis so in Genesis 34 um, these are the the sons of Jacob um, this is when Jacob is the patriarch of Israel and um, they're they're on their journeys and they come to this city of called Shechem. So it's a it's a city that exists already. And uh, the the ruler of Shechem, the the father of Shechem, is a man named Hamor. And I mean, this makes sense. The how do cities become cities? They don't just sprout up overnight. They are the results of families. Um, growing and increasing in size. And eventually, you know, you hit critical mass. I don't know what (laughs) the critical mass is when you cease being a a family or a clan or a tribe and you become a full-blown city. But anyways, that's Shechem. And in Genesis 34, you get this, um, another kind of sordid story of how um, one of, I think it's, I think the guy's name is Shechem, the son of Hamor. Um, He rapes. Um, Jacob's daughter, Dinah, and then wants to marry her. And so there's this whole, um, there's a, a back and forth between, okay, what do I have to do to get to marry her and Jacob and his sons? Um, they say, okay, well, you have to circumcise all your men. And then when they do that, um, two of Jacob's sons go in and actually kill uh, all of the the men in Shechem. So the appeal to, hey, why should we serve the Israelites if they knew their history um, would be, why should we listen to these people who came in and were our enemies from the beginning? Why should we serve Abimelech? He's from Jacob's family. We should go back to the sons of Hamor, the sons of Shechem. And if, if you would all listen to me, this is what Gaal says, um, if you would work with me, forget Abimelech, work with me, we can drive out Abimelech, um, and, you know, it's all—this is said at some sort of religious festival. There's wine flowing around behind. Again, it's very much uh, a mob story.
0: Mm. Right. I mean, the, the picture is that, that, I think, Gaal is, is a— is drunk when he's saying yes. this he's it's sort of mm-hmm. drunken boasting he he's he's had too many to drink and and he has had this idea in his head maybe all along he knows the history yep. and he's just gonna say man what are, what are we doing let's let's go get him let's come on follow me sort of sort of thing yeah go ahead and
1: it happens well i think it's that's great and and it happens in a very public in a religious setting too so this isn't just you know he's talking with his buddies in a, mm. in the pub somewhere. I mean, maybe it was like that. It's, it sounds like it was a pretty wild atmosphere, but it was at whatever god they worship. It, this took place in a very open, you know, this is open conspiracy, right? This is um, the talk of revolution. And that, I want to highlight that because th- what that shows you is that Abimelech has no control. We've, we already know that, of course, um, but this is just, a it's a step further. So before in the verses you read before you have um you know you have these thieves out on the highway well now you've got a man in the city itself at a religious festival saying hey let's let's overthrow the king who's with me
0: hmm. right and and at least at this point and we'll we'll see as the text continues that Abimelech learns of it but at this point Abimelech seems rather oblivious to the whole thing he he doesn't yeah. seem to be taking a very Active role in in ruling. I'm not not sure what he's doing at this point, but he's he's certainly. I don't know. He just seems a bit aloof from from the moment, and he's he's being more uh, reactive than proactive in his role. There's all kinds of wrong things going on here. I guess is what I'm what I'm ultimately getting at. That that everything that we see here is a picture of everything that shouldn't be. Uh, particularly yeah. among God's people, and and maybe this is a good good point just to reflect a bit on on some of these, as you said, rather sordid texts that are in the scriptures. What what are these doing here? What are we to make of these yeah. these accounts in God's word?
1: Well, I, a couple things. I think one um, I mentioned before. This is the this is the photo negative of the kingdom of of the kingdom of God. So um, in the kingdom of God, everything is is um, good and holy and righteous. In the kingdoms of man, of man um, everything is is evil and wicked and twisted. It's all it's all perverted, um, and so what you see here is Scripture not only teaches us um, the glories of Christ, but it also teaches us that what's in man. It shows the depravity uh, of our sinful condition, and so. When you get to that on a, a clan-wide level, on a tribal level, here's what here's the kind of things you should expect. And actually, I mean, on the one hand, it's like, well, how could this be in scripture? But on the other hand, you read this, and it's like, that's the way politics works. Mm-hmm. I mean, <laughs> this the the conspiracies and the 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 trickery that's involved in gaining power and holding on to power. Doesn't this it, to me, Tim, it sounds like you know this is this is the, the history of politics right here.
0: No, I, I think you're right, and I mean, so it's almost like if it wasn't in the scriptures, what kind of what kind of reliability would the book actually have? Yeah. I mean, if it's going to paint a true picture of the human condition, then it, it's got to give us accounts like this because this is what happens when sinful people go their own way and ignore the Lord and his word and pursue idols and all that comes with them. And if, if this isn't in there, then I mean, what, what kind of book is it really? It's, it's not going to give you the the realistic account of what does it mean for man to be sinful. And then it can't give you the true account of what does it mean for Christ to come to save us and to establish his true kingdom as God has intended. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, What's the saying? Nature abhors a vacuum. So, in a vacuum of power, um, what's going to happen is someone someone is going to rise to rule, and the question is, do you have a good do you have a good ruler or do you have a, a crooked one, a corrupt one? And part of the gospel this is the um, the gospel is that Christ has come as the King who is righteous beyond all you know beyond all compare. And so what what happens when Christ comes and his his gospel, he brings, you know, the benefits of his kingdom are published. And, you know, this is the, the work of the church to advance the kingdom of Christ. Well, that that word, the message of Christ, goes out into a world where you have the polar opposite. You have the kingdoms of man and you see this is the kind of um, this is the kind of thing that Christ has come to save us from. And we we look forward to the day um, when we won't have one foot in the kingdom of, of conspiracy and evil and one foot in the kingdom of God, but both of our feet will be, right will be fully under God's revealed and glorious um, reign.
0: Mm, yeah, Jesus says, and, and I, this is all over the scriptures, that you can't serve two masters. and, and within that is the assumption that you will serve some master, something, someone will be Lord over you. And if that something or someone is not the one true God, as we know him in Jesus Christ crucified and risen, well, I mean, as you said earlier, there's no neutrality here. This is the yeah. picture of where following a master other than Christ Jesus is going to lead. And that's, I don't know if I can say it, the beauty of, of this text is that, It's put full display for us to see what it looks like when Christ does not reign as king.
1: Yeah. Yeah. What will happen to uh, a ruler who gains power through conspiracy? Well, his own people will conspire against him. Mm. And you see that repeated in uh, how many of the kings are killed by their own children. I mean, that comes up again and again in the book of 1st and 2nd Kings. You know, he was murdered by his own kids. I mean, this is, it's a terrible thing, um, but that's what, you know, if you, what's the saying? If you um, sow to the wind, you reap the whirlwind, and uh, what's, in, those who live by the sword die by the sword, so. Mm-hmm.
0: So we've, we've got here in the text, Gaal has has come to Shechem, and in a drunken religious festival, he has made this foolish boast concerning Abimelech, saying, I, we can take him, let, let's go. Now, he maybe doesn't realize what he's done, but others are listening, and they're going to take advantage of the situation. Let's let's keep reading here in Judges chapter 9. We are in verse 30 now. When Zebul, the ruler of the city, heard the words of Gaal, the son of Ebed, his anger was kindled, and he sent messengers to Abimelech secretly, saying, Behold, Gaal, the son of Ebed, and his relatives have come to Shechem, and they are stirring up the city against you. Now therefore go by night, you and the people who are with you, and set an ambush in the field. Then in the morning, as soon as the sun is up, rise early and rush upon the city. And when he and the people who are with him come out against you, you may do to them as your hand finds to do. So Abimelech and all the men who were with him rose up by night and set an ambush against Shechem and four companies. And Ga'al, the son of Ebed, went out and stood in the entrance of the gate of the city, and Abimelech and the people who were with him rose from the ambush. And when Ga'al saw the, saw the people, he said to Zebul, Look, people are coming down from the mountaintops. And Zebul said to him, You mistake the shadow of the mountains for men. Ga'al spoke again and said, Look, people are coming down from the center of the land, and one company is coming from the direction of the diviner's oak. Then Zebul said to him, Where is your mouth now, you who said, Who is Abimelech that we should serve him? Are not these the people whom you despised? Go out now and fight with them. And Gaal went out at the head of the leaders of Shechem and fought with Abimelech. And Abimelech chased him, and he fled before him. And many fell wounded up to the entrance of the gate. And Abimelech lived at Aruma, and Zebul drove out Gaal and his relatives so that they could not dwell at Shechem. All right, that's the rest of the text. That was Judges nine verses thirty through forty-one. That's where we're going to call it for today. There's there's going to be even more good stuff coming tomorrow. It's just it was just too much to fit into one episode. Sure. So yeah. So Pastor Appled, now just kind of take us through this scene as it happens. We we see this again. This idea of a mob boss and those under him all sort of struggling for power. It seems that Zabul he thinks that he's gonna side with Abimelech. That's the place to go. Right. And and Gaal's got a few others that are that are with him. Just kind of help us understand yeah. what's happening here.
1: Yeah, so think of again of what, what uh Gaal, our our guy, Gaal, the uh, the insurrectionist, what he had boasted and, and he, he had insulted this man named Zabul. And we don't know, is Zabul an Israelite? Is he part of the tribe of Manasseh? or is he another one of the men of Shechem? Um, I don't know. I, I think it sounds like he's one of the men of Shechem. And so when Gaul says, look, Abimelech is the, you know, he's a foreigner, and Zabul is his servant. It's like, it's an insult against Zabul. So Zabul must have been at the festival and heard this. And he says, okay, if that's the way you want to play, um, I'm going to go and I'm going to tell, I'm going to, you know, basically shut your mouth, right? Um, but he but he uses Abimelech to do it. So he goes and tells on, you know, here's what the conspiracy is against you, Abimelech. Here's what you should do. And then um, when, when Gaul sees Abimelech's forces coming, it sounds like, doesn't it, somehow Zebul is in charge and Gaul is saying, hey, why don't we go out and fight them before they get too close, before they gain ground on us? And Zabul, of course, is in on the whole thing. And so he says, no, 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 it's just, you know, you you don't know what you're looking at. That's just the shadows. Um, But then, you know, you get the grand reveal, right? The whole thing turns when he says, look, you remember what you said? I don't know if it was just last night or whenever it was. Why don't you go and show us what you're made of? And so he goes, he sends Gaul out to his death and he's killed then by Abimelech
0: right I mean the the picture yeah I, I don't know if it, if it is the next night it, it that's the way that I've read it is that the the drunken boast happens at this evening festival and then this conspiracy yeah. between Zabul and Abimelech comes together overnight and are yeah, right the the picture that I have at least is is gaul is, is sort of waking up with a bit of a hangover there in the morning <laughs> and, and and he's looking could out be. well you know maybe that's read that could be reading a bit no, too much but I think, I think it it, it's there. it, it yeah. helps color it a bit because that that makes a little bit of sense that oh it's just the shadows right i mean you're you're still waking up you're you're a little hungover don't 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 worry about it and and eventually these people get so close that there's there's simply no mistaking it and at that point i mean zabul basically calls his bluff and and says look you know look what you said last night go for yeah. it here's your here's your chance and and of course it, it sounds like zabul then actually gets gets in on the action as well in terms of the the con I don't know, conquest isn't the right word but the battle that happens that that maybe zabul is is also helping Abimelech in this ambush of gaul and his men but but I, I think I mean the the overall picture here is that and this is I think what we were talking about towards the beginning that you see evil is fighting against evil and eventually it's it's all just going to destroy itself
1: yeah. Yeah, I think you're right. This is that. That's a great way to put it. It is um, chaos tends toward more chaos, and eventually everything is consumed uh, in in the chaos. And that's that's exactly what's happening. So you you said before, you know, there's going to be more to this, right? This is just kind of the things are just getting heated up here, right? Um, you're, what you're going to study and hear tomorrow is the the ultimate fall of Abimelech, but this is just kind of the precursor. He seems like he's able to keep it under control. Um, but one of the questions that comes up as you read this is, is that really the right way to handle this? Did Abimelech do the right thing? You know, this guy makes a drunken boast at a religious festival that he's going to overthrow the king. Well, I don't know. Is this is what Abimelech does? Is that the proper way to deal with a drunken boast, or should there have been? You know, we would probably say there should have been a trial and a public. You know, there it should have been dealt with. But I don't know if if this really helps to actually establish good order, or if this only is going to lead to more of this kind of thing.
0: Mm. I mean, there's there's certainly there. You see again the foil with what this kingdom is versus what the kingdom of God is set to be. And, and particularly, as you see, you know, with the reign of David and Solomon, some of those very peaceful reigns okay. and the the matter of, of peace and justice that do come out, even in an earthly sense, and then even, even more with the, the kingdom of God as it is set up in Christ and, and as he wins it in his death and his resurrection, that what you see here is certainly a far, far cry from from everything that Christ would give. It's the exact opposite of the kingdom that God intends. And yeah, I mean that that's a, a great thing to consider. Is Abimelech's response proper? Well, no. And and again, I mean just just in terms of the interactions, he's he's been goaded on by this Zabul who I mean Abimelech is is not running the show. He's he's being very reactive to what's going on. He it's just it's a very bad time in the history of Israel yeah overall. I mean yeah, you, you just can't get around it.
1: yeah I mean and and again the what what we're not saying is that he you know he should have ignored the thing he should have dealt right. with it and it's it's right for um, especially for kings if you have a, a rebellion it needs to be dealt with it can't you can't just ignore that. I mean Gaul really was. Um, He really is an insurrectionist. You know, he wants to overthrow Abimelech. Um, But Abimelech's only recourse, his only way of, I guess, knowing how to deal with things is, well, let's kill him. Mm. Right. And well, if that's how law and order is going to be dished out in in your kingdom, um, you know, there's that's ultimately what's going to happen to you. Mm. And that is that is what happens to Abimelech. Did I spoil it? I think everybody can see the trajectory we're on here. It's a downward trajectory. This is Abimelech. not
0: a happy... not Literally, it's a downward trajectory for Abimelech. Yeah. That's maybe a bit more of a spoiler tomorrow. Um, but yeah, no, like you said, uh, Jesus' own own words, I think you mentioned these earlier, those who live by the sword shall die by the sword. That, that this trajectory that Abimelech has set for himself is simply bound mm-hmm. to end in this way. Now... Uh, Pastor Apple, we've, we've got about six or seven minutes here, and there's I think there's a couple directions we could go. One, you've got in your notes here this matter of St. Augustine and his thoughts about the city of God and the city of man, and, and how we might apply that to this text. I think we, we can go there for a little bit, but we also, I think, want to try to connect this text to Christ somehow, too. So, Maybe give us a little bit on Augustine, and then let's make sure we reserve at least a couple minutes to, to sure. see how we can see Christ here.
1: Well, the reason I I mentioned that is because that's that's a a good and um, it's a good text to read. What happened? Uh, Augustine, the Christians at the time when when Rome falls, um, the Christians get accused. Why did Rome fall? That's a big question that people have debated. One answer has been: Well, the Christians, um, the spread of this Christian religion, undermined. The Roman way of life, and in some sense, they're right, right? I mean, the Christians did refuse to um, participate in the Roman, you know, the Roman worship, and they did become um, a separate people. But what Augustine does when he writes the City of Man and the the City of God is he says the Romans fell because of their own doings, right? Christians, the Christians did not um, cause the fall of Rome; the Romans did, and the reason that I bring that up is because I think in this, um, account of Abimelech's kingdom, and I think you can see this too, in kind of the way that, that modern political life goes, when the word of God is no longer, um, present, when the word of God, um, when his law, even, when we're talking about the rule of, um, of the left-hand kingdom, it's not that God has no interest in that. He doesn't rule it by his gospel, but his law and the law that he has put into nature ought to um, rule in our, in our world. And when it doesn't, um, you're not going to have justice. You're not going to have um, tranquility. You're not going to have, you know, a, a great world to live in. And what Abimelech shows you, what his rule shows is, here's kind of the—when things are left to themselves— or when evil spirits are what's driving uh, a kingdom, it's it's going to look like this. This kind of stuff is going to become commonplace. And ultimately, it is true that that in this text you do see it's not like God has no say in it. He he's still ruling, but he's ruling with um, judgment on these things.
0: So we we see that very clearly. And and then with the but the last few minutes here pastor apple then if, if you're you know the, the was it the show iron chef is that still a show on food network where they have a secret ingredient they have to cook with that if if you're the, <laughs> if you're the iron preacher and you're assigned judges <laughs> 9 22 through 41 and you have to preach Christ from this text give us a couple minutes of that kind of preaching
1: well i would i would want to say i mean i think that that by and large it is um, here is God's judgment on wicked rulers. And so we need, we need to pray for our rulers that we not be, because it's not just Abimelech who's going to be affected by these things. We are knit together, right. And so when when the, um, when the authorities, when the king becomes corrupt, the whole kingdom suffers. And so part of our prayer is that God would um, would help our our leaders, our authorities who we've elected, um, to rule according to His holy will, and I mean that's part of the preaching here. Um, but you, I think what you mean is, how do you preach the gospel from this? Yeah. I would, I would say, I would say it is a con- It's by by way of contrast. So here is the kingdom of man, driven by um, greed, driven by the the desire for power, um, driven by anger and hatred. Now think of how different the kingdom of Christ is, and that kingdom is not just our future hope, but it's also a present reality for us. So Christ is at work ruling in the midst of his enemies. He is at work um, sending out the word of, of repentance and the word of grace um, to be applied to the citizens of his kingdom. And it is a, a joyful thing for us. It's a There's suffering in this world because we do live in with one foot in these kind of kingdoms, but we also have our foot and our stronghold in the kingdom of Christ, where His grace and His love and His mercy um, sustain us and give us hope that one day um, the kingdoms of man—not that we have to rebel against them, but that one day um, the the unjust rulers will be um, will be no more. Hmm.
0: Pastor David Appled is the pastor at St. Paul's Lutheran Church in Paducah, Kentucky, helping us this morning with Judges chapter 9, verses 22 through 41. Pastor Appled, thanks for being our guest as always. Absolutely. The kingdom of man ruled by wicked rulers, the picture is downright ugly here in Judges chapter 9. What Christ gives is far better. A kingdom of grace, a kingdom of justice, a kingdom of peace in him. Trust in him for all things. I'm your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow.